everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we have a very small episode to talk today about a very small character, Mr. Ant-Man and the Wasp, in a new film called Quantumania. Basically like that, right? Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and I hope you got the joke of this being small. We'll see actually how long this ends up being. But I am very excited to talk about this movie. This is the beginning of Phase 5. This is the kickoff of the next phase in the multiverse saga. And we have gotten probably the best look yet. Uh, Though I would still argue possibly Loki more so. Um at the multiverse. So uh, just beyond excited to talk about this. I've seen the movie twice now, uh, watched it Thursday night, and then saw it again yesterday uh, with my wife. She loved it as well, which was great. Um, Always a win when we can get Lisa to like a Marvel movie. She likes most of them. But um, but yeah, so tons to talk about. Uh, I'm very excited to kind of share my thoughts and feelings on this movie. I did put in the work to uh, rank it with the rest of the MCU. Surprisingly, I made some other MCU moves uh, in in my list that we will talk about as well. Um, but we're gonna go. We're gonna do this a little bit differently. Um, I guess I mean maybe somewhat the same as it always has been. So I want to talk a little bit about each of the characters in the movie, and then from there, uh, kind of talk about little bits and pieces. I don't think I don't think I'm gonna do a full you know scene by scene breakdown just in terms of, you know, making it easy on my memory. But I took some notes uh, that I'll share. And then last night before I went to bed, uh, I got a bunch more little notes in my head that I jotted down because there are a couple things that I think we need to talk about. Some criticisms of the film that I don't know if people are fully understanding the scope of. So let's dive in. I'm going to see if uh, <laughs> if I can tell. I-, I jotted this down, but this is essentially... I, and we'll say full spoilers going forward for uh, for this film. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's a really good movie. Um, but if you haven't seen it and you don't really care about spoilers, sometimes I feel that way too. Enjoy this podcast. Maybe this will make you want to go see it if you're on the fence. And then forget about it. I think one of my favorite things in the world, and I always mention this on here, is developing uh, and I don't, I don't know if you want to call it a skill, but, uh, you know, I'll read a couple reviews about the movie or something like that, and then I just kind of turn my brain off while I'm doing it, and I forget about it. So, for example, I was, uh, and I don't do this often either, but I was re-listening to the Kang episode that I recorded, um, and there were things in there where I was like, oh, I don't remember saying that. Uh, so it, it really is true that, you know, sometimes it's like, just just read it. If, if you're that curious, check it out. Don't hang on to it so much. Like, immediately go do something else, and you'll probably forget it by the time. I mean, I, here's, here's the first one we'll start with. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people say, comparing this to a Star Wars film. And uh, good or bad, I have no idea. But I didn't, I didn't see it. And especially in that first viewing, uh, when I got, you know, I got home and I was, I was watching a review on it and some, you know, person had mentioned Star Wars and I was like, oh, that's right. Cause you know, again, when I go to these movies, when I go to any movie, I try to kind of get into that mindset of just letting everything out at the door. This was a real, this movie was a perfect practice of that because the, the reviews have been kind of middling. Uh, I think it's sitting at like a 50% Rotten Tomato score. The audience scores like 80%, which is great. I mean, critics, I guess, aren't huge fans of it, uh, but I liked that. When I heard that there weren't perfect reviews coming out, some of the initial reactions weren't perfect either, I got really excited because I feel like, and I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I feel like there's just been a lot of hype around Marvel products going out, uh, Marvel content, whether that's a show or a movie, specifically the movies though, right? Um, and I'll, I'll admit it from that end, right? Think about Eternals, Thor, Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. There are just, there's a lot of Marvel content coming out right now that's becoming very uh, polarizing. And I love, I love that, but it's a true thing. It's happening. So um, I think what's good about that though is it gives people an opportunity to judge this movie for themselves. Because I think when you have an overall consensus, something like Avengers Endgame, right? Every single person said that movie was the best movie of all time, right? The greatest movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, right? Everyone loved that movie. And so I feel like as you're watching it, 
especially for the first time, right? You're like, oh my gosh, this movie is going to be amazing. I, this movie better be amazing as you're watching it. But when the, when the reviews are like this, I got really excited because I was like, you know what? I don't need to worry about that anymore. I, maybe this movie isn't going to be good. But I, I said to myself, and I would recommend this, like, what what are you trying to get out of this film? And it should be something very generic, right? I was saying, I just want to have a good time. I just want to go into this movie and enjoy it. I want to really enjoy Kang in this film. And if we can get some cool scenes, I'm down with that too. To me, that feels like a really low bar. And this movie, uh, Quantum Mania, exceeded that bar in my eyes. And like I said, I, when I sat down in the theater seat, and this was big, guys, this was huge, uh, I can confirm now that my movie theater fixed the squeaking sound in the Dolby Theater. So I was able to enjoy this movie full stop. And I'm sitting there as it started, and I, the trailers were going, and I was getting pumped. I, you know, trailer for 65, trailer for Fast X, for Guardians. Uh, for the flash that trailer looks insane uh, or that movie looks insane and i'm just sitting there smiling like here i am in 2023 look at all of these great films we talked about this right we talked about this last year 2023's got a lot of great movies coming and i'm just getting excited for the future of film and i'm sitting there going oh yeah and i'm in an ant-man movie like i had i was enjoying myself that much that i forgot where i was and so then the movie starts and I'm just sitting there going, man, I can't like I can't believe it. I was just so excited, and so I enjoyed it. So the overall thoughts, this I really enjoyed this movie. It was really fun. Um, everything about it was really fun. There's there's some pieces, sure. I'm sure there's some things that you can easily argue of. Oh, you know, there wasn't enough uh, writing for this thing, or or I would have loved to have known more about X, Y, or Z. And I think that's totally fair. The movie is two hours and five minutes, so it's right in that Ant Man sweet spot of not being too short, not being too long. But yeah, sure, fine. Throw an extra five minutes on for a little bit more explanation about the quantum realm if that's what you wanted. Sure, I I would never fault anyone for saying that. But again, at face value you this movie just felt so fun uh, and it reminded me a little bit uh, not not necessarily of Loki but just this idea of a stranger in a strange land uh, they all get sucked into the quantum realm uh, and so with that well you know let's dive in so here's here's what I said uh, as my this is like the the, the movie so it's an Ant-Man the, the movie starts and ends with kind of a montage sort of sequence of Ant-Man's success and his life. And he can't believe how great his life is, which I thought was really cool because how many Marvel movies have we gotten that it's just all doom and gloom. It's tragedy. Everyone is miserable after the blip. It feels like the only person whose life actually improved after the blip is Ant-Man. So it was really nice for them to kind of uh, recognize that. We see Cassie's in jail for protesting at a homeless camp, which was really cool to see. Very uh, uh, real-world stuff there. Um, she shows her dad the quantum telescope Wi-Fi thing that she has, the quantum communicator, I think it was called. Uh, after, you know, they had a great dinner scene and all of that, and they all, uh, Janet freaks out, and she's like, you're communicating with the quantum realm, and this is all in the trailer, right? Turn it off! And so they turn it off, but the signal ended up going through, and they all get sucked into the quantum realm, and we get an amazing scene of, of Scott being pulled into the quantum realm that, to me, felt like a really cool mix between uh, the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness scene of him flying through all of the, uh, uh, different universes, but also of the Black Widow finale where she's falling because it was him falling into the quantum realm and he's sliding down stuff. Uh, but oh my goodness, just amazing, amazing uh, graphics, CGI. Um, that part was awesome. So they, they're pulled into the quantum realm and uh, Hope, Hank, and Janet are looking for Scott and Cassie. Kang is looking for all five of them. And uh, Scott and Cassie are found by revolutionaries that apparently there, I love that there's a, there's a lot of really good humor in this. And a lot of it came from Catherine Newton. Uh, she was great. And we'll talk about that when we get to the characters, but she goes, quantum people in the quantum realm, the way she said it, I just, I, I was cracking up. I thought that was a great line. Uh, but yes, yeah, so there are people living in the quantum realm. There's whole societies. We had guessed that, but these people did not know that. And so they find that out. Eventually, everyone is brought together by Kang. It's revealed that Janet is, um, she worked with Kang when he crash landed in the quantum realm to help fix his ship, to help him escape. 
Uh, and we will talk about that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, but again, they defeat Kang uh, with a giant army, army of ants, all this stuff. They they stop him from leaving and presumably kill him. And then again, we get, like I said, we get that happy ending at the end, or is it happy? So uh, that's a very, very quick synopsis of the movie itself. So uh, if you didn't want to be spoiled too late, uh, but again, I think easily, easily forgotten, right? I mean, there's not, there's not much to it. This is not a complicated plot. Uh, but let's dive into the characters. So we're going to start with start with our title characters, uh, which, uh, you know, we'll have a conversation around this too, because I think there's more than one. But um, Scott, so I thought Paul Rudd did a phenomenal job. Uh, he's at the, the peak Paul Rudd that we've always wanted. We get some great Baskin-Robbins humor. Um, we get uh, both in the real world and in the quantum realm, which was nice. Uh, I loved his relationship with Cassie. I lo- honestly, I loved his relationship with everyone. He has some scenes with Hank where he says something like, God, I admire you. And, uh, you know, something with Janet. He-, he has a little bit with everyone. And-, and I think that's one of the strengths of this film is that everyone is in a really good spot, which you can't say about many of the other Marvel movies. Again, we, you know, I mentioned that just a little bit earlier that uh, they really did make it out of the blip good. Obviously, a lot of them lost during the blip. They lost that five years. But at the end of the day, they, they, they're doing pretty good right now. And so Scott, you know, he's got a book deal, a real-life book that's coming out, I think, in September uh, that I think I might have to get just because the, the bits that we heard were really great. Um, the ultimate, one of the themes of the movie, right, the last sentence of the book, there's always room to grow, uh, which was really cool. And uh, so, yeah, it was really nice to see him. We get to see him do a lot of shrinking and growing, which I was really happy about. Uh, But overall, uh, I just we're here at the end of a trilogy of Ant-Man movies, which I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to say that when the first Ant-Man came out. I could have probably guessed it just based on Marvel. But for them to pull it off in the way that they did and, you know, spoiler alert, this was my favorite of the three Ant-Man movies. I wasn't I, I really liked the last one. I've liked each Ant-Man movie more than the prior Ant-Man, so that kind of gives you an idea. Um, so, ne- But the next character is Hope, Hope Van Dyne, Evangeline Lilly. Uh, I thought she did a great job with what she was given, and this is where I think I, I jotted some notes and I actually jotted down a whole mini essay about this that I wanted to talk about because this was one of the, I think, biggest issues that people had with this movie. And so let's talk about it right now. Let's get it out of the way. Um, one of the criticisms that I've been hearing is that this the movie is titled Ant-Man and the Wasp, but Evangeline Lilly or the Wasp, uh, Janet or Hope, she uh, she's not in it very much. She's not given much to do. And I could I couldn't disagree more with that statement. And I think we're you might be on a slippery slope with this. And again, please shout out in the comments, message me if you think that I'm wrong about this. But I was sitting here thinking about it because when I even in the first viewing, that was one of the things I was like, uh oh. Where I kept thinking in my head, okay, they kept saying that Hope doesn't get a lot in this movie, so let me keep my eyes on that. She gets a ton in this movie, and um, let's talk about it. So here's what I wrote, and we'll see if this if this plays out better, you know, from last night. But um, she is in quite a bit of this film, and you're going to notice that throughout this. But the, the thing I wanted to call out is something that I think I, I don't know. Marvel is probably aware of this, but there has been a perception, and in some cases, an actual proof of the mistreatment of women, char- female characters in Marvel movies. Right? Um, think about Black Widow. I think that's probably the biggest example. She's kind of a sideline character in a lot of movies, and she only only finally gets her own film. Uh, after she dies, and this is a prequel movie. I mean, that's something we've talked about a bunch in here. But thinking about thinking back to like her first appearance, where she's essentially just like a sex symbol for Tony Stark, and then you look at a lot of the other female characters kind of going forward. Same thing, Captain Marvel. Again, great character. She's getting her due, but her movie was also a prequel movie too. Um, Ant Man and the Wasp. You know, Ant- Wasp was a really big deal in the first Ant Man movie. And uh, kind of becomes a bigger deal in the second Ant-Man movie. But I think we are getting in this film, and it, it, you may not notice it, because you are I don't know what it is you're looking for. These people who have said that she didn't get enough in this movie. That's one of my questions here, is, is what, more, what more did you want from this? Because her first scene in the movie is the narration of Scott explaining how she is killing it at work. She now owns her father's company, 
uh, which is now called uh, Pim Van Dyne. And she is solving world crises, deforestation, uh, world hunger with the pim particles. I can imagine that means she's using them to grow trees. She's using them to grow food uh, for people to eat. She's just generally being a badass. Next scene is her having a beer with Scott on the Golden Gate Bridge, right? So think about that. First two scenes that we have of her is not only that her work is going really well, her work life is going well, but her personal life is going really well for her, right? Her, her relationships are going really well. Her relationship with Cassie is going really well, right? They pick her up at the jail. She's teaming up with her in the car, telling Scott, uh, you know, you're kind of telling Cassie what to do when uh, telling her that she shouldn't have been, you know, doing the thing that she was doing. So not only are those relationships going well, but her relationship with her parents is going well. Think back to the first Ant-Man movie. Her relationship with her father was incredibly strange. She was dating Darren Cross, which is very different in this movie. Not only that, but she has her mom back. She she is living her best life right now. And guess what? That does not make for a very interesting character in a movie, <laughs> right? Every character that we cling onto, think about it, Killmonger, uh, just popping in my head, right? Kang, uh, you know, the Winter Soldier. I'm just I'm shouting out some of these recent ones where we've really gotten to dive into these characters. They are all flawed characters. They are all people that have some sort of hump that they have to get over, some sort of crisis or issue or thing that some trauma that they have to pass. And we connect with them and we want to know more about them because we want to see them succeed. That's human nature, right? That's the reason we love film. That's the reason we love movies is watching these journeys with people. So, yes, 100%, you could argue that she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. But the other argument is why? Because she's perfect right now. She's an app, she's a perfect female character in 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 the written version of female characters in Marvel, right? She's killing it at work, she's killing it at life, she's killing it in her relationship. Nothing is going wrong with her right now. She is living her best life. And again, that makes it a little boring on the screen because there's no tension. There's nothing that we need we need from her, we want from her because we've already gotten it. And again, you can say that, you know, I would have loved to see more of her writing uh, or more dialogue from her. That's totally fair. But look at this, right? The only issue that she has in this film is trying to talk with her mom about the quantum realm. There's a couple of scenes where she's trying to press and say, hey, um, but I liked that how she pressed was not very hard. She's like, hey, you know, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. I'm here to talk about it, but obviously she didn't want to. But think about it. When she was on the ship um, talking as after Janet kind of spilled the beans and revealed what she was doing with Kang, what was her daughter's response? She said, that must have been really hard going through that alone, but you aren't alone anymore. Like she is... She's just the embodiment of perfection in this movie, of saying the exact right things, uh, very kind words. Not only that, though, don't forget, she saved Scott's ass twice in this movie. And, like I said, fair, very fair argument to say, oh, well, she basically just shows up at two points in the movie and, and saves his butt out of nowhere. Yeah, that's fair, but you know what? That's just how good of a character she is, right? That she can just show up and save the day, like Superman, She's very similar to Superman in this movie. She's got a lot of stuff going really well. So, uh, and I put in here, so what more could you ask for, right? Was it not enough dialogue? Uh, and, and in that point, I did put a note. I said, because I think at the bar, when the broccoli guy approaches her and says something like, hey, how you doing? Uh, and she just scoffs. She could have easily had a really great line there. And, and the one I was thinking of in the movie, because I was like, oh shit, she's, she's going she's gonna to say this, that she says, she rolls her eyes and looks at the camera, even in the quantum realm, right? Like even in the quantum realm, there are sleazy guys, even down here as, as far down here as this. So, uh, like I said, you can argue that it wasn't enough or that it wasn't well-written. I don't know if I agree with that, but maybe the writers have said, you know what, why can't she just be in a perfect spot? Why does every character need to be going through trauma and grief? There's been so much of that, right? All of the characters in this film are basically at their peak. Scott is with his fame, with, you know, saving the world. Hank and his anger. Think about that. He is easy breezy in this movie. He's got Janet back. They're in a perfect spot. Janet has more screen time in this movie uh, in probably equal amounts, maybe a little bit more than the other two, but they're all right around there. So it goes to Wasp as well. They are all in a really good spot. 
And then that leads into the title of the movie. So this movie is called Ant-Man and the Wasp. And in my eyes, this movie should have been called Ant-Man and the Wasp Squared. Because this movie truly is about Scott and Hope, Hank and Janet, the four of them. Two Ant-Men, two Wasps. So for people who are saying, well, I can't believe uh, they called it Ant-Man and the Wasp and the Wasp is barely in it. Uh, one, she was. She was in it quite a bit. But also, Janet is the Wasp too. So you have to call that out as well, that she is in this movie. And this movie, if anything, is a story about that Wasp instead of the other Wasp. So um, that's a big piece again. Call that a pair. That's why I'm calling it Ant-Man and the Wasp squared. And so uh, it's just the, you know, the magic that these films have, these Ant-Man films, which again, I, I'm not saying that this movie is, uh, you know, a top tier MCU film. It's not. And not, not in a bad way. This is one of, this is one of my favorite kinds of MCU movies, which is a, and I, I gave it an eight out of 10, right? It, to me, it's a great film. It's really fun. It's the kind of movie that I can see myself going back and watching a bunch, unlike something like Thor, Love and Thunder. So the magic of that being that uh, everything in it just feels a lot smaller. The relationships feel small. Obviously the entire movie is small because they're in the quantum realm. Uh, so literally they are super tiny. Uh, but I wanted to call that out because I think that was the biggest piece that I, at least I noticed uh, when I was watching it uh, from the criticisms of the review. Like I said, I forgot a lot of other things like the Star Wars piece. And I'm, I'm as I think about it, yes, maybe like when they go to the bar, it's similar to the cantina, I suppose. I think people are just making the connection that because Peyton Reed directed the Mandalorian episodes that he pulled in some Star Wars stuff, and he probably did. I mean, at the end of the day, you're kind of starting to blend them all together, right? It's a strange new world, going to a different planet in Star Wars, it's basically the same thing. It'd be be the same as saying like, oh, this car, this movie has a ton of really fast cars in it. This is a lot like Fast and the Furious. Um, to me, that's the equation of it. I don't think it's super similar, but yeah, you can make the comparison. So that's hope. Like I said, I thought she was great in here. And I, I remember, if you guys remember, I, uh, I teased this movie when the trailer came out about her hair. And I thought her hair was fine in the movie. Uh, it was actually uh, kind of a cute cut. So um, I liked that. And again, she just, the fact that she, we'll talk about it when we get to the end. Uh, because that's one of, uh, when we get to kind of my favorite scenes in the film, she has a, a couple of them. So that's Hope. Cassie. We got Catherine Newton playing Cassie now instead of, has uh, been recast. And I think it was a fantastic decision. The only issue that I had mentally is she does not look exactly like her character when she was a kid. The other actor certainly looked more like her. But once I got over that, she's amazing. I, I'm so happy that they gave it to her. Her comedic timing is absolutely perfect. It's in line with Paul Rudd, so you can say that she got it from her dad. Uh, oh, That part was great. She said, uh, I've got some couple lines. There's a couple lines here. Obviously, we talked about the one. But after she grows and gets really big, she's like hugging her dad and says, oh, I'm just, I'm so hungry. I could eat everything. Uh, and then she's like, can I, I really want a lime. Uh, and I got, I call, I got that during the movie call back to civil war, but I just love that I could eat everything. And then the scene where she's letting out, I think her name was, uh, journey, the, um, the revolutionary leader. Uh, but she's like slamming on the keypad and she's like, is there, is there a key? Is this, this thing have a room key or something or, and the way she, the, her, like her actions while she was doing that just had me cracking up. Uh, I thought that scene was really funny. She just did a good job. She owned the role and I'm very excited to see where she goes from here. Uh, easily, easily can see her tag teaming with Kate Bishop, uh, Kamala Khan. I think the three of them trying to think if there's any other young women right now in the mcu but certainly the three of them are amazing to, would be amazing together but certainly her and kate i just i could see their their comedic timing honestly kamala would be perfect too but the pair give them all a movie we need that young avengers movie and her suit was cool i like the purple uh janet oh man janet gets her due in this movie we get her um oh, she's just she she is with kang she is the reason, you know, we talk, and that was another note that I had. I'm going to have to pull that up, make sure. But uh, just the idea that in uh, Infinity War, the, uh, we, we talk about Star-Lord ruining, you know, he basically causes the snap, right? And uh, you could argue that Janet is the Star-Lord of the multiverse saga and that she is the one 
that caused this with Kang. I mean, she could have eased... I don't know how we could could have avoided it in the same way that Star-Lord was, but it's just really cool to think that Kang Dynasty, Secret Wars, all of that is because of this. Um, it's a little bit because of Loki, too. Obviously, it's it's mainly because of Loki, but it's also because of this, and it's really cool to see Janet, to see Michelle Pfeiffer, of, of all of us, being there as the linchpin. So cool. She got some great scenes and uh, she got some cool fights. She got some uh, moments to act. She basically got made up for for all of what we missed in the last movie. And the same, I, I like I said, same goes for Hank. Um, talk about him kind of conquering his anger from the prior films. Each film has seen him kind of lessen in that regard. And he's he's in a sweet spot right now. He had some great lines. I loved his his. Uh, you know, I read every word of your book, Scott. That was great. Uh, he he's he won a Nobel Prize. There's a Nobel Prize waiting for him in the mail, but he's still saving eight bucks on pizza uh, by making a tiny pizza that he can he can shrink up or grow up, uh, which was cool. Uh, and I loved his relationship with my aunts. Uh, his aunts were great. <clears throat> the aunties, and that whole scene that was a great scene. We'll talk about that as it comes. Uh, but now we got to talk about the Kang Kang in the room. Uh, ho, ho 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 Kang. Kang was amazing. Jonathan Majors absolutely killed it, knocked it out of the park. As everyone said, that's I think is the biggest takeaway that people have had from this movie, and uh, I completely agree. Uh, and there's a line, and I, I was googling it. I was like, okay, I need I need the Kang quotes because I couldn't fully remember it. None of the websites had this quote. This might have been my favorite of his quotes when he is explaining the timeline and he is explaining what his variants did to him and it exiled him. So this Kang is the exiled. Uh, which is, I don't know if that's a character in the comics, but that's what his version is in the MCU, and I liked that. So you could argue he's not the real Kang. Obviously he is, but she, he's explaining all of this, and Janet's like, you realize you're going to be killing trillions of people, eliminating whole timelines. And he says something like, I wish that mattered, Janet. And then the scene goes, or he says, he says none of that matters. The way he said that just chills down my spine. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is just terrifying. And we'll talk We'll talk more about um, some of my thoughts on Kang once I dive, because I, I basically was uh, jotting these notes down sort of linearly. Um, so I have more notes later about Kang that we'll talk about. But safe to say, I mean, costume was amazing. Super comics accurate. The helmet was amazing. His powers uh, his his demeanor, his beliefs, uh, just the things that he said. You know, what what are you gonna do now? I'm going to win. Uh, just his anger against his variants. So yeah, I, I thought Kang Kang stole the show. Modok is also in this movie, uh, played by Corey Stoll. Uh, this is the what happened to the Yellow Jacket when he got sucked into the quantum realm. I really liked Modok, and I liked him even more a second time. I his face obviously was incredibly off-putting it's a giant face but the amount of times that they show it it really started growing on me and I, I actually was like this is actually pretty good cgi like he looked like it was just a bigger face and so i had no problems with it i really enjoyed his character he was a little corny and there was some cringe in his his you know lines but overall for what he was supposed to be i thought he was good and he had a nice little arc at the end where uh he may or may not be an Avenger now, which is uh, pretty cool. And by may or may not, I mean definitely not. But uh, hey, you know, a guy can dream. As I love that, you know, it's his last, it's his last wish. So uh, he's getting that, which is great. Uh, I put a note in here about Dale uh, from Baskin Robbins again. Um, Greg Turkington, one of uh, one of the great comedians out there, uh, right up there with Tim and Eric, uh, good friends with Tim, but uh, came out of cake making retirement to make this terrible cake. Uh, haven't made a cake since 1997. His he had some great lines for the little that he had. As did the coffee guy, who uh, I didn't. Uh, his name is Ruben in the show or in the movie. I don't remember what his name is, but he's from I think you should leave. Thank you, Spider Man. Uh, he was uh, you are the you are the bug. You're the bug guy. <laughs> you shrink. You grow. You you're a bug. Uh, was great. Twelve dollars. Uh, I love that. I thought he was great. Uh, and then the citizens of the quantum realm. So that's probably where. I would say if you want to argue about anything, it's there. There, There's not a lot of development with this. Like, okay, so um, uh, William Jackson Harper plays a character who is a telepath down in the quantum realm. He looks like a normal human. 
How did he get down there? Right? I mean, there's a hundred questions you could ask about these quantum people. How did they breathe down there? Uh, how did he get down there? Is he like, was he shrunk down there? It sounds like he doesn't, he, he says, uh, you know, these people don't know anything about anything. And it's like, well, that's not true. If you actually read his mind and he you just said, could you, could you think about how you got down here and what's been going on and read it, read his mind and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I don't know. There's some, there's some pieces that were missing from that. And so I, I'll give that to anyone who has a complaint about that, whether it's him, the leader, again, you know, what she kept saying that the, you know, Kang destroyed them. That's great. You know, maybe we could have seen that. Uh, maybe even just a little bit through a flashback or something after Janet leaves the quantum realm that he kind of strikes out and uh, uh, takes over everyone, conquers everything. Uh, but then, and then there's the guy who shoots the beam out of his face, who's talking about revolution. That that also reminded me a little bit about Thor Ragnarok of uh, Korg calling for revolution too, which honestly was one of my least favorite parts of Ragnarok, and and probably my least favorite part of this movie too. Not the revolution piece. I love that idea, just the the delivery of it. I mean, it just it felt kind of basic. Uh, and then David Dasmalkian played the weird uh, goop guy who you drink his fluids and then you can understand how everyone speaks. Concept-wise, brilliant. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but it was a little overplayed with the holes. Uh, I was laughing really hard when he said, uh, his name is Scott Lang and he has seven holes. And I literally in my head was going, ear, ear, nose, no. And, and I looked up at the screen and Scott's doing the same thing. And then he goes, yep, that sounds right. Uh, and I laughed so hard because I was like, ah, I was doing the same thing. Like seven holes. That makes sense. Uh, but then as the, you know, oh, I have holes. And he's, there's a lot about, I was like, it's kind of weird. But again, this is a weird movie. So you got to leave some of that at the door. Uh, but overall, like I said, I think they were fine. And then we've got to talk about Bill Murray. He has one scene. He has one of the most badass entrances in this movie. The music it was it was reminiscent of Black Panther and just or that uh, Killmonger sort of the boom, boom boom as he's like walking down the steps. But then it's Bill Murray and it was like oh okay, and he's like you know oh you're human that's the word I, I could never remember what it is you guys call yourselves. He's like you're not human, not nah, uh, no but I am kind of in the ways that count. But I'm like okay these people all, he looks human so what does that even mean? There's again. I, one complaint I did here is there's a lot of stuff about the quantum realm that isn't explained. My ticket and trick for this was don't care about that. Like even now I'm talking about it and trying to dig it. You can't dig into it too deep. Maybe they talk about it in a future film, but it's okay that there's mystery around the quantum realm. It is a subatomic uh, environment that you're never going to visit that actually doesn't exist. So they can really do whatever they want down there. And as long as it works and, you know, is able to push the story forward, I'm cool with it. So those were the characters in the movie. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the pieces of it, my favorite scenes, some quotes, that sort of stuff. So uh, I wanted to call out I really liked how quick the opening was. It felt like maybe 10 minutes in the real world, and then the rest of the movie is in the quantum realm, and then there's maybe another five minutes at the very end of them being in the real world. The irony of that being that this movie technically, in real time, I'm assuming it only took place over the span of like a day, Something like that. Like, it's a very, very self-contained movie. Uh, and you think about them being gone in the quantum realm and just probably reappearing back up top because, what was it? He was in the quantum realm for five hours, and it was five years. So if they were down there for... I mean, it would be interesting to see if they talk about it, but it seems like they were not gone for that long. So that was cool. I like that. Again, whole movie is down there. Um, favorite scenes. So I picked five, I think four maybe i'll have to come up with a fifth but i loved the probability storm um not just the emotion of it scott going down there and uh, and him you know cassie saying come back dad i teared up in that scene uh just how powerful that was at least to me with you know you should, dad you need to come back come back and all of the ant-men kind of focus on that and get him just that whole idea of the probability field i thought was super cool they call out schrodinger's cat uh, or Schrodinger's theory, which is, uh, for those of you that don't know, a uh, you, if you put a cat in a box with no holes, just to think of a, a moving box, right? Put the cat in the box and put a piece of poison in the box and then close the box. You have essentially created alternate realities. There is now a reality where when you open the box, the cat will be dead because it ate the poison. Or... There's going to be a reality when you open the box and the cat is alive 
because it doesn't it didn't eat the poison right and the theory is until you open that box both of those both of those uh timelines exist that's that's the theory it's it's so it's such a fascinating i've always been fascinated with that theory they talk about it in the before watchmen comics that's where i really got into it that was a long time ago but um but yeah so that's why he's he's in this probability storm where he thinks about something or makes a movement and another version of himself is created because any probability of him doing something and so eventually there's hundreds of him and so there's a really cool moment where um hope comes in to save him uh, this is when she, the first time she saves him. But when she comes in, all of her versions of herself are basically doing the same thing as her, uh, which is just another thing that shows you how put together that she is, that even all of her probabilities are focused already on one thing. Scott had to work for it. It came very easy to her. But for those of you who are steelbook collectors, that scene where she shows up and kind of slides on camera as her other versions slide behind her, that is identical to the concept art that was used for Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, because they they plastered it on. It was either the front or the back of the steelbook of her doing that. Scott's is like him growing from small to big, and hers is just her kind of with a bunch of versions of her behind her, uh, which I thought was cool. So I think they maybe re reused that or decided to use it because they didn't do that in the last movie. Um, so that was amazing, though. I just I loved that scene. Uh, Hope, yeah, Hope rescuing Scott not that one, but the one at the end. So, you know, in talking about the ending of the film, Scott defeats Kang. Not only that, Ant-Man and the Wasp defeat Kang, this version of Kang. Put that down, like, jot that on a tombstone because how, you know, he's talking about how many Avengers he's killed. He's killed a Thor, and Ant-Man and the Wasp defeated him which is huge. That is a not just that is another feather in their cap as a couple and uh individually because it looked like he was about to be at the at the outs and she comes back and saves him. And I thought that they were going to get trapped in the quantum realm at that moment. Uh but they don't. And that's the best part. It was like, you know what? They could have easily just been like, "Oh, they uh you know, they get trapped in a quantum realm." And I saw somewhere that maybe that was originally the plan, but I'm so glad they didn't do that cuz they literally got trapped in the quantum realm in the last movie. We do not need to keep getting trapped. And now, ooh, we're going to we're going to get to some of these notes. Like I said, I got some really big ideas on what's going to be coming from some of these notes that I took down. Next favorite scene was Janet and Kang building the core for the ship. That entire scene, that might have been my favorite scene of the movie is watching Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer acting off of each other. Holy cow. That's all I'll say. I don't want to spoil too much about that, but um, just a beautiful, beautiful interaction. Uh, and then the ants showing up at the end. I loved this idea. I was cracking up uh, at these super smart ants getting sent, coming into the Quantum Realm too, because things got sucked in. And in their process of going down into the quantum realm, they hit some sort of thing where they aged a thousand years. And so in that time, they were able to create like a techno society. Uh, they have like ant mechs, mecha ants or something like that, like suits. And uh, they've just become super hyper advanced. I loved that. I was laughing so hard just because I was like, oh, this is so ridiculous in the best way. Like I loved it. Um, so yeah, So those are my favorite scenes, I think. Um, some quotes that I put on here was, uh, I loved Cassie's line to her dad when they're talking about, talking with the revolutionaries. And he's like, we got to get out of here. We got to find them. Um, she says, and this is again, talk about real world. This is something people need to hear. Just because it isn't happening to you doesn't mean it isn't happening. Powerful line. Um, she also has another great line towards the end of the movie that I think a lot of people could take, uh, which is, it's never too late to not be a dick. Uh, something that I think, again, I'm sure you can think of a few people that probably could use that advice because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard not to be. Uh, no, it's never too late. You can you could just do it. Uh, but then, yes, uh, part of that scene where uh, Kang and Janet are building the uh, core, she says, who is Kang? And he says, who I need to be. So we still don't know what his name is. If he's going to go as Nathaniel Richards, um, that'll be really interesting because uh, that, that's what we'll jump into some of these so here's like prediction type notes um if that's the case we talk about fantastic forecasting we have not done a lot of casting on this show i don't believe in it but i find it interesting if they choose for kang to be nathaniel richards 
you following me, I think, possibly, it would make sense if Reed Richards was cast as a black actor. And that, to me, is fascinating. I would love that. I think that is so cool and would be such a cool tie-in that people aren't talking about because, um, you know, there, there, was a whole, there was a whole push for that, I feel like. I feel like the casting for the Fantastic Four has been a uh, perennial sore, for me at least. It's like, just let Marvel do it, right? Just let them cast. You'll figure it out when it happens. You don't need to spend a thousand hours guessing who it's going to be. That is such a waste of mental energy. Uh, but... In seeing it in here, it made me smile because I was like, ooh, I don't, no one's, I've not seen anyone talk about this, but technically, if Nathaniel Richards is Kang and he's a descendant or an ancestor from Nathaniel Richards, who was a father of Reed Richards, it would make sense, right? If they were, they were all black, which I love. I love that idea because that's, that's just one more shakeup in the MCU, get a little bit more diversity in there. Again, I think something, oh my goodness, if it was Jonathan Majors, uh, it wouldn't be Jonathan Majors as Reed, but maybe as his father. Uh, just There's some interesting possibilities there. So that was a little note that I had. Um, I loved this. So let's talk about this too before we get to a lot of these notes. Two post-credit scenes in this movie. Kang seemingly is killed at the end of this film. We get a great moment at the very end where Scott is saying, we, we beat Kang, right? And he's, we beat him, but, but he said he was going to be back. Or he said that something really bad was going to happen. He has this really great monologue in his head of like, is something terrible about, did I just ruin everything, so to speak? Uh, but then we get two post-credit scenes. Oh, yeah, and I have it as a note in here, but we'll talk about it now. And then the scene ends with him taking this cake that uh, that the Baskin-Robbins guy, Greg Turkington, uh, made. And the last scene is him biting into the cake, and it, it's a, he hates it. He's like, oh, which is a really interesting metaphor for this film. In that, you know, just this idea of there being a, a kind of a sour taste in your mouth at the very end of the movie, in the same way that the victory over Kang in this movie feels a little bit sour. Because it's like, yeah, you beat him, but I think something way worse is about to come. And so I loved that. I love that they did that. So two post-credit scenes. The first scene is the Council of Kangs. Um, gathered in a coliseum, which is shot for shot from the comics. Uh, amazing. Not only that, but we get Ramatut, Amortis, and a third king, who I don't know who it is. It. Uh, my first guess was, I said it looked a lot like infamous Iron Man with kind of the sleek suit, uh, but it could easily be, he could be called Silver Centurion for all I care he looked like it, but some people said maybe it's Scarlet Centurion, which is another version of Kang. He doesn't look scarlet to me, but it also looked like it could have been like Iron Lad. Iron Lad. Again, you don't really see a suit, so it's hard to tell. Uh, but regardless, they are talking and essentially saying that, you know, the exiled has died. And uh, which one of us killed him? And they said, no, they killed him. Like an Avenger killed him. They're getting close to the multiverse, to what we're trying to do, to what we've been doing. And now we have to stop them. And so he said, I've called all of us, all of our variants. That is the first post-credit scene. And that is probably one of the biggest post-credit scenes in, in a long time. That that scene is, is taking us directly into Kang Dynasty. He even says in the movie, the Dynasty of Kang, right before he gets cut off when he's making his announcement. So... Um, I wanted to call out here too, and so now I'm kind of going down my notes. I loved Kang's fighting style uh, when he's fighting Scott and his yells. He has these very guttural yells as he's making these huge moves. I'd love to hear what, and maybe we will during the Assembled episode, <clears throat> what type of fighting style they mimicked his fighting off of. I'm, I'm wondering if it's like a Krav Maga or something like that. But that was really cool. Here's a, here's a again, these notes. Um, a lot of these are things I was thinking of predictions to come at some point in the future, they're going to have to go back into the quantum realm and get his ship. Because if you remember the, um, the core, the multiversal core engine that he has powers the ship that can take them anywhere in the timeline, anywhere. It's like, uh, put the note here. It's basically like Rick's car from Rick and Morty, where you just get in the car and it'll do whatever you want. It'll take you wherever you want. It's a, it's a, it's a MacGuffin in a sense, or is that a, a deus ex machina, whatever it is. Um, Cassie now has the ability to go back to the quantum realm whenever she wants with that device. 
She has no worry of Kang having to come get her because Kang is gone. And so there's going to be something leading into Kang Dynasty where, and maybe it's in that actual Kang Dynasty film, where they, they have to go back to the quantum. They're like, we have to go try and stop this. And it's like, well, how are we going to do that? We can't even traverse the multiverse. And she's going to be like, yes, we can. His ship is down there. Like, holy crap. Like, you get Riri Williams on the case. Riri Williams could fix that ship. No question about it. So there's that. Um, and another another point I'm pu- I put on here I want to call it is how different uh, Jonathan Major's performances were between Ramatut, Amortis, this other version, the Exiled, but then also He Who Remains, right? So different. And I watched a really, really cool video last night. For those of you that are looking for more Marvel content, um, I know this guy has been, uh, he's been doing a lot of work over the years. I've seen him this or there when, you know, years back for like Avengers stuff, but his name's Eric Voss. And, uh, it's a, it's a video called the deep dive from new rock stars is literally like a 45 minute video of him breaking down Loki, the every episode of Loki and how it could possibly tie into King dynasty. And I was, I was blown away. There was so much in there that he had put in and trying to figure things that I don't, no one has figured out yet that again, you know, it might be right, might be wrong, but it was a really good video to watch. And so that was one thing that he was talking about was just the, um, something about he who remains, but th- this is different. Just the fact that they were, they were different, but just a plug. Cause like I said, I was very impressed with that. Even just breaking down the episodes and this idea of Loki being kind of the, the linchpin. And it's funny. And I, I will say for the record, I jotted these notes down before I watched the video uh, and it made me smile because there's a thing in here that I predicted that he is also predicting that if true, I think we're going to be in, in for a absolute treat. And so speaking of Loki, the second post credit scene at the very end is Victor Timely, who is also Kang, another version of Kang. And I, I did my research on this one because I hadn't heard of him before. He goes back in time into the 1901 to uh to escape right to, you know this is just another version of king but he disguises himself so you don't know that it's king he creates it's it's uh he creates timely wisconsin which a town in wisconsin that's super like a technological marvel which you kind of see in this post credit scene but he also employs i think his name is phineas i was gonna say phineas gage um for psychology people out there you know who phineas gage is um, but the Phineas Horton, I think was who his name is the guy who created the original human torch. Uh, there's definite through lines there, but he's, he's displaying some time type temporal machine in the crowd is Loki and Mobius. And, and Mobius is like, this is the guy. And Loki's like, that's him. And he's like, he doesn't seem like that big a deal. He's like, trust me, he is. And that's the scene. So we are getting a tease that this is carrying directly into season two of Loki, which again, we all predicted. We knew that was coming, but, um, but yeah, so very cool. Like I said, we will tackle some of the pieces from those as I get through these notes. So there's a shot of Scott looking at Cassie and behind him is like a bluish nebula nebula that looks similar to something from infinity war guardians. I couldn't put it on, put on what it is. But I was like, oh, he's getting a similar scene. But also, when Kang kicked his helmet at the end and they fight, to me that reminded me of when Thanos beat up Iron Man and busted up his mask and he had to take his mask off, right? At the end of Infinity War, the opening of Endgame. Um, that was cool. Uh, yeah, we talked about the Steelbook. So uh, very, is- yeah, him and Jimmy Woo. Okay, that was great. We got a scene in the beginning with him and Jimmy Woo out for drinks, practicing their magic great message going forward there. I wonder if that means that he shared with Scott what happened to him in Westview. Um, man, that would have been, that would be super cool. So they, uh, also Scott going in. Yeah. I talked about that going into the quantum realm felt like uh, black widow and multiverse of madness, uh, but po- post, uh, post credit scenes. So, uh, here, here's an interesting piece that I typed out too. Uh, are Loki and Mobius technically working for another Kang in the capacity of the TVA or have they gone rogue? Because if you remember at the end of this, he comes back and Mobius is also a different Mobius or whatever it is. Mobius doesn't remember who Loki is. 
So we still have to get to that point because clearly in this scene, they, they know who each other are, or at least a little bit enough to talk to each other. But again, are they working in the capacity of the TVA to figure out who this guy is or to figure out Kang in a sense then working for Kang? Or they, have they gone rogue and they're off the books and they're investigating this on their own? That'll be an interesting thing. Um, what has Kang lost? Now, this, this is an easy one because we talked about it in the last episode. There's a scene in the movie where he says, I have lost so much. And I think that goes back to Ravona. We don't see Ravona at all in this movie, uh, which is a bold play. I had predicted that we would. But I still, my money is still on her being the crux of Kang Dynasty. And that's all I'll say to then lead you back to that deep dive, deep dive Loki video from uh, called the deep dive, uh, because he confirms that as well in the sense that that may be the way of defeating Kang is through that idea of love because he doesn't know how to love, right? He doesn't know how to love in the comics. Clearly doesn't know how to love so far as we've seen him in the movies. But um, very just, oh man, like I said, I, I can't recommend that video enough. That was, you know, and just to, to point out for that, there's just so much content that comes out and so many YouTubers who try to create these spoiler videos and these breakdowns. And I feel like it's really, it's, it's hit or miss. And for the most part, it's miss. It's like, okay, I just remember back in the day, and I don't know if you guys were the same way, but like, man, when after Aven the first Avengers movie came out, right? Or like Age of Ultron came out. The, the quality of these videos were so pristine in terms of like where are things going to go next what's what's happening what you know oh let's break this down but now with so much content and so so many movies under our belts it's a lot harder it feels like to do that everyone's video is the exact same like oh here's what i saw in the movie and here's what i think it could be and uh this video is just so different from that because there's little shots and pieces and and theories and the idea of like having a dance partner which no one has talked about. And again, Loki and Sylvie being dance part, just, oh, it blew my mind is all I got to say. And I, I'll try not to talk about it again. So I talked about the, the Reed Richards of it all. Um, here's one. Will we get a backstory in Kang Dynasty a la Thanos, right? Think about it. In Infinity War, that was a Thanos movie. Uh, we get a lot of his backstory in that movie uh, around how he became who he became. And then Endgame is the second half. And so now you got Kang Dynasty with Secret Wars being the second half. So we're going to get a similar backstory of, of maybe what leads him to being put into exile. Does Lo Here we go. So here, here's the big piece. Here's my prediction. Again, this was before watching this Loki video, which made me even more sure of this. How, how are people going to know that Kang is a problem, right? Scott doesn't seem to want to talk about it. Uh, and, and in Scott's defense, they defeated him, right? They defeated Kang. So he's kind of chilling. Who else knows about Kang? And so my question, does Loki alert the Avengers in the same way that he did in Avengers and Infinity War? And I put, what a full circle that would be. Loki, the one heralding Kang. Because, right, Lo Loki is in the first scene of Infinity War. He essentially gives... Uh, Thanos the stone the space stone to get him uh, going but then Loki is also the reason the Avengers came together right in the first Avengers movie and that was that version of Loki right the evil version and we now have the good version of Loki a different version of Loki what if he leads the Avengers in this new movie he's the one that brings everyone together because only he knows how truly powerful kang is scott does scott knows a little bit janet certainly but uh loki is on the front lines right now trying to figure out kang so uh holy cow and like i said this deep dive video goes into in even more detail and i don't want to take away from their thunder but i just thought that's something i don't think anyone's talked about and that that to me is a pretty good receipt if anything and what a what a full circle for uh, for Tom Hiddleston, right? To have gone from being the villain, and also for screen testing and trying to become Thor, to then leading the Avengers. This this ragtag, right? It'll be a ragtag Avengers in Kang Dynasty, and then a full blown Avengers in Secret Wars. It has to be. They got to build it up that way. Um, so there's that one. Okay, here's another question: What if one of the movies that we've either seen or that's coming out? is from a different multiverse. 
that's something that I've not put a lot of thought into. But when you think about it, I don't know. It could explain something, and I don't know if there's anything there. My first thought for those haters out there was, oh, okay, well, what if it was like the Eternals, right? Everyone talks about why did no one make a big deal about Tiamat coming out of the um, out of the Earth? What if that's in a different universe, a different multiverse? But you have to remember, uh, and the, the one piece I think that ixnays this, is that any movie that talks about Thanos and talks about the Avengers winning that would be our universe because that is a one in what was it three billion three million chance of it happening so that's our that's the main universe so if it's something similar if they don't reference thanos in the movie that could possibly be a different universe i don't know again just a question and i also have a note in here too of the avengers kang dynasty roster so again top of the bill loki and i said full circle baby he's gonna be an avenger um the marvels all three of them Captain America, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Shang-Chi, maybe Moon Knight via the Khonshu connection, like in the comics, possibly. Is Are the Thunderbolts, would they be in the group? I don't think so. I think maybe not. But then does that mean Yelena wouldn't be in it? Uh, Riri Williams, Black Panther. I think she would have a reason to at least want to approach Kang, right? From a time travel perspective, trying to get her brother back. Uh, Doctor Strange, maybe She-Hulk. Spidey. America Chavez and obviously Ant-Man and the Wasp. And maybe I missed a few, but like I said, I'm I am uh I'm on I have Loki fever at this point because I I know and I'm sure people talked about it in the past, but it really hit me last night when I was like, wow. He can you imagine just Tom just the full circle mentality of him coming back around to lead a new Avengers Oh, is that what they're going to be called? New Avengers? Uh, or to lead a young Avengers group, or, or maybe there's multiple groups. Because then what will happen is, obviously something, you know, Kang's going to defeat them. You saw how many Kangs. You see how many Kangs are in the end of this, in that post credit scene. There's no way they're going to win. Uh, they're going to, maybe they get close, maybe they try something. But at the end of the day, I, I think they are going to lose. But then they're going to create battle, or Kang is going to create Battle World or something. Uh, maybe there's a, there's a Doom piece to it as well, something with the Fantastic Four. But because uh, you see, you notice too. That's another piece as well. Another call out. All the Kangs as they're tr- they're coming into the Colosseum, they all are using the same technology that Reed Richards uses in Multiverse of Madness. That same sort of square that expands that looks very similar to the technology of the TVA. Um, so there's God, there's going to be a Fantastic Four connection too. But again, my prediction going that far ahead is they lose in Kang Dynasty, and then we get the multiversal avengers a la what ifs you're going to get captain carter possibly a t'challa from another universe um all of that sort of stuff so um that's that's basically that's my review so the last piece that i'll talk about is the rankings which i know you guys have been uh (laughs) eagerly anticipating so like i said i did make some adjustments um i've bumped loki up Loki is now above WandaVision. I think I had it above WandaVision, but I also bumped it above a couple of movies as well. So Loki's now at my number 10 in the MCU, which is big. But re-watching it and seeing this uh, this video on it and just the nuance, and if it comes true, the sort of buildup that has cre- was created in the show, I think it warrants it. But we're not here for that. We're here for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So in the MCU... Currently, we have 40, wow, 42 properties in the MCU, and that's all of it. Shows, all that sort of stuff. I have Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania at number 23. So, like I said, not top tier, kind of somewhere around there in the middle tier. I have it right below Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and right above a movie I also bumped up, which was Thor, the original Thor. Uh, which I have now bumped, and I'm I'm not apologizing. This may uh, lose me viewers. I bumped it above the Guardians films, um, and above one of the Spider-Man films, Homecoming. So, uh, big deal there. But like I said, this is my favorite of the three Ant-Man. I give it an eight out of ten. Uh, I've seen it twice, and I kind of want to see it again. Uh, I may give myself a little bit of time in that regard, but you know what they say, right? Time, it's uh, it's not what you think. It uh, it can be controlled and manipulated. So who knows? Maybe I'll go back in time and rewatch it again for the first time. Uh, but that's where we will wrap things up. So um, thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully some of these theories get you excited for what's to come. Hopefully this conversation uh, gets you excited for this movie. If you weren't excited prior, maybe you saw it and didn't really know what to think. So um, 
thank you for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Klein. This is Comics and Cinema, uh, and we will see you at the movies.